You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. Well, uh, we are in the book of Ecclesiastes, and today marks a shift. We are rounding third base, and home is in view. We are headed to the end. We're in chapter 11, and uh, it, the tone of this passage is different. You're going to see here in a second. <clears throat> is different from what we have uh, read and studied so far uh, because he's coming to the end of the book, and he's telling us, Ecclesiastes is uh, telling us really how to live, how to apply the things he's been talking about in the previous 10 churches. So we've got a couple more weeks in this, and then uh, we're going to do a short series um, in July and the beginning of August on uh, eschatology, which that word means, if, if you don't know that word, it, it means last things, the study of last things. So we're going to look at four of the last things uh, that happen leading us into eternity. Uh, I will not have charts or predictions. It's not that kind of a series. Uh, it will be more talking about four of the uh, big events that happen towards the end, starting with the return of Christ. So we'll, we'll do that, which will be a lot of fun. And then in August, we will kick off our new ministry year with a new theme that we're super excited about and got a lot of stuff coming uh, with that for the new year. So anyway, that's kind of what will carry us through the summer. But right now, we're in Luke. I'm sorry, we're in Ecclesiastes. I'm, I'll tell you a story about a guy named Luke. But we're in Ecclesiastes. Um, chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. So let's uh, listen to God's holy word to us this morning. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning... Sow your seed, and in evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. I read a story this last week about a man named Luke Short, and uh, it was about his conversion to Christianity. He had a remarkable conversion. Uh, he was uh, living in Virginia, and he was sitting outside one day and thinking, this was in the 1700s. Uh, he was thinking less to think about probably in the 1700s, less going on, but uh, he was thinking about whatever you thought about in the 1700s. And he all of a sudden remembered a sermon that he had heard preached from the uh, English Puritan John Flavel. And when he remembered the sermon that he had heard preached before, he, the sermon had to do with included, uh, you know, talking about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And all of a sudden, he believed what he heard in that sermon. He believed in the resurrection, death for his sins, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And sitting outside, just contemplating, he became a Christian on his own, remembering what he had previously heard. 
Now, one thing that makes the story remarkable is that at this point in his life, Luke Short was 103 years old. And he lived a few years after that as a believer in Jesus, and then he died at 106. And on his tombstone uh, was inscribed the following, here lies a babe in grace, aged three years, who died according to nature, aged 106. A babe in grace who, who, who died, uh, you know, aged three years, three years of grace as a believer, and ultimately, according to nature, 106. Now, the other thing that makes the story remarkable was not only that a 103-year-old person recalled the sermon and was converted, but the sermon he heard from John Flavel, he had heard preached 85 years before, which led the person who wrote about this account to say the following, nearly a century had passed between Flavel's sermon and Short's conversion, between the sowing and the reaping. Man, you do not know what God can do and what God will do when, when, uh, when a seed is sown. Uh, you know, I was thinking, we don't know, I don't know any more details about that. Um, it was probably a regular church service, I imagine. I'd love to know more. Like, who was the person who invited him to church, who hoped he would respond, and he didn't? But 85 years later, after the inviter is long gone... The guy comes to Christ, and, and maybe he was a regular church attender, and no one invited him, but who was praying for him when that sermon came that day, praying that Luke would, be believe, would believe, and then praying for Luke after he heard the sermon? Maybe he had a godly mom praying for him, or a friend, or someone praying that he would become a believer, and they died never seeing him believe in Jesus Christ. And yet, 85 years later, sitting outside in Virginia, God saves him regenerates his heart, and he believes in what he had heard. You never know what God will do when you plant seeds. What will God do with those seeds? You may not even live to see the fruitfulness of the seeds you plant. This is, brings great hope for anybody who has friends or relatives that aren't believers in Jesus. Um, great hope when we think about this. Well, this, this idea that I'm sharing with you, that we never know what God is going to do, our miraculous God with the seeds we plant, that this, this idea is central in the text that we just read. You never know what God will do. And in the text we just read, God is calling us to live by faith. He's, he's calling us to a different kind of faith than in the previous 10 chapters. The previous 10 chapters, He's called us to a faith that is a bit more passive. It's the kind of faith that trusts God when inexplicable things happen to us, when things that are confusing and does, don't make sense. When those things happen in our lives, Ecclesiastes has been calling us for 10 chapters to trust God who is sovereign. This, this is a little bit different, though, in this chapter. Here he's talking about a faith that actually takes initiative. It's a, not a passive or a responsive faith. It's a proactive faith. It's a faith that, that acts. It's a faith that actually risks, we're going to see, and a faith that trusts God because we don't know what God will do, and so we act and we trust Him to do what will bring 
him glory for his glory and for our good. So there's three points I'm going to make from this passage, and we're going to look at two verses at a time, and then we'll make some application at the very end. Here's the point, I think, of verses 1 and 2. Investing leads to blessing. Now, let me say something about this. If you're new here, you may go, oh, wow, that sounds like what I heard at a prosperity theology church. Investing leads to blessing. Plus, it rhymes, so I'm sure, or kind of rhymes. And I need to make a point that my sermon points are always very boring. I hope the sermon's not always really boring, but that's for you to decide. But the points are always boring. It's like point one, love God. Point two, love your neighbor. It's true, but it's just boring. But once a year, I come up with something, a little zinger, where they rhyme or something. This is that Sunday. So I want you to know, I don't have that gift. The gift, some, some preachers, I see them, they do this kind of stuff. It's all this rhyming stuff, and everything's like a self-help rhyme or something. You know, thankfully, I don't have that gift. But anyway, don't, don't have that gift, uh, uh, you know, where they're saying, don't let your setback set you back. Your setup is just a setback as a setup for your comeback, or I don't know. I don't do those. I was actually at a church one time where the guy does a lot of those little sayings, and they actually put them on T-shirts. So people don't even take notes of my sermon points, much less put them on T-shirts. But today I got three zingers, and then I'll go into hiding for another year. So my batting average is one out of 52 Sundays. Not a good batting average for zingers, but we're not here. We're for truth, not zingers. But today you get both. Investing leads to blessing is what he is saying here. Notice the two verbs in verses 1 and 2. Cast, cast your bread upon the water. Verse 2, give a portion to seven or even to eight. So there is a call to action here. Uh, The preacher, Ecclesiastes calls himself the preacher. He's Solomon. Uh, He is calling us to action. But what kind of action does he mean when he says, cast your bread upon the waters and give Uh, a portion to seven or even to eight. What is he talking about? There's a number of ideas about what he may be talking about here. A common one, uh, many commentators say that he's talking about international sea trade, Um, that casting bread upon the waters has to do with uh, exporting your grain or whatever it may be. Um, The NIV actually translates it that way. If you have the NIV, I'm reading the ESV, but if you have the NIV, then you go, yeah, that's what it says. The NIV says, ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive return. So, so many look at that and go, hey, this, he's talking about exporting by faith, knowing that someday something will return, it's perhaps out of your hands. And, and, and the reason uh, this is com- sort of a, uh, a, a challenging call He's not just saying, if you've got, you got an export business, run your export business. That's what he's saying. Um, in the ancient world, ships weren't what they are today. And so for you to ship something uh, to another nation was a very risky venture. Your ship easily could encounter storms, and then all your product you know, uh, it, is lost at sea. So it was a risky venture. You might send out several ships. And everything may not come back with, you know, uh, as planned. And so uh, it could be saying, look, it may take a while to get something. You don't know what it's going to be, but go for it. In other words, it could be saying something like nothing ventured, nothing gained. If you don't export what you have, then you're not going to receive anything in return. Some people say that this uh, has to do more with uh, giving broadly. So the idea is spreading it out. Verse 2, give a portion to seven or even to eight. So whatever you are giving out, whatever you have that you're investing, diversify, 
what you are investing because if something, the end of verse 2, you may not know what disaster may uh, happen on earth. So if you put all your eggs in one basket and something goes wrong, then you're lost. But if you give here and you give there and you invest here and you invest there and you sort of spread it out, then you are likely to have a better return. You'll still be okay if something tanks. In other words, if you sent seven ships out, uh, maybe a couple of them hit a storm, but some of them make it, and so you're better off. Some people say, well, the whole thing's just about giving, probably more giving financially. Uh, so give a portion to seven or even to eight. Um, and it's saying, look, if you give to others, that's sort of like casting your bread on the sea, it'll come back at some point. Now, that idea does have biblical uh, precedent, or uh, I guess precedent would be before. Uh, this comes after, Jesus comes after. So let me just say it's verified elsewhere in Scripture. So, for instance, in another book uh, that's wisdom literature, Proverbs, Proverbs 19, 17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Or Jesus, um, sort of well-known statement in Luke 6, give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So if that's what the passage is kind of talking about, these verses, then the idea might be, you know, give broadly to seven, seven's the number of completion, so give completely and then some. Give to eight uh, beyond you, because uh, you don't know what's coming, but just give generously by faith to the Lord and trust He will provide in difficulty. Now, I think all of those ideas are true, because I think all of those ideas uh, you could find elsewhere in Scripture. But I think the way, it, perhaps at getting to a core idea behind this, is to say, what do all of those three ideas have in common? And it's this, that it has something to do with investing. Whatever opportunity you have, invest, and invest boldly, completely, to seven or even to eight, beyond completion. Invest boldly, trusting the results with God, because you don't know when something's going to come back to you, verse 1. And if things go bad, you don't know what's going to happen in the earth. Uh, if, if things go bad and you've spread things out, you don't know what disaster happens, but that would be better uh, to sort of spread things out. Give boldly, invest boldly, trusting the Lord. And I think it's helpful to say, well, what is this specifically? Is it, does it relate to me if I don't have an export business that ships overseas? Well, no, I think it, it's, a, it's, it's an idea that he's talking about here that applies to all of life. It, it applies broadly to us. Investing faithfully, boldly, broadly, and trust God with the results. Trust God with the results. So how does this apply in your work? Well, in your job, I think there's a call before the Lord to work industriously and to invest in relationships, invest in other people, seek to make other people a success where you work. Be faithful in doing that because you don't know how God will use that. You don't know how God will use your example and your testimony at work. If you're faithfully representing Christ at work, you work with eight people, seven or eight, seven of them may never ask a question, but the eighth may ask something about your life that gives an opportunity to talk about Christ. You don't know how God is going to use your efforts. So in your work, 
cast broadly, I think is what it would say. Um, in your giving, financially, or giving your time, or uh, opening your home, whatever the giving could be, but in your giving, give boldly, give broadly to serve others, and watch what God will do. I mean, the testimony I started with, He may do things through your giving that you never see and that happen long after you're gone. It's a beautiful picture and a, and a hope. You don't know what's returning. In reaching those to Christ, reach out broadly, as I mentioned earlier, and see what God might do with your efforts. In church, seek to invest what you have. Whatever you have, don't sit on your bread, cast it in the water. Uh, whatever you have, use it. Um, in church, what, God, what gifts has God given you? So what if you stepped up and used your gifts somewhere to serve others, to be a blessing to others? What might God do through your life in the life of someone else in your small group or in Grace Kids um, or in the student ministry or in the women's ministry, whatever it is? How might God use you to build up His church? In marriage, Invest fully. Don't hold back, but invest in your spouse. Love, serve, care for your spouse, and see what God does in your marriage. See what God does. You know, our marriages are to represent uh, Christ and His church. And so our marriages are actually, by their very nature, by the, the nature of the husband and the wife together as they live uh, in, in harmony and in union together, their very union is to be a gospel testimony we don't think about that a lot, perhaps. But if we invest in our marriage, we're not just doing something to get something. That's not what I'm talking about. If you do this, then she owes me this, or if you do this, then he does, he must. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about giving faithfully, loving, serving, and seeing what God might do in our marriage and through our marriage. You see what he's saying is to cast and to see what comes back. Give a portion to seven or eight. Give of yourself. If you're a student, I know it's summertime, so uh, enjoy your summer. Go to the pool. Maybe, as Rob said, maybe your dad will share the crumble cookie with you. I don't know. It could be a big day for you. But uh, enjoy your summer. But school's coming back, so why not enter this school you're saying as a student, apply yourself. Don't lay back and just get by. But be, be diligent, growing and developing, so that in many ways you are developing what, what you will be able to give in the future. And so do that. Seek to reach out and invest in other students. Be stretched and see what God will do it in you. Cast it out there and see what happens. In his commentary on Ecclesiastes, this is what David Gibson says about these two verses. Here is wisdom you will not hear anywhere else. Take the best of what you have and the best of what you are and give them away. Hold them out in open hands to God and to others. All that's been entrusted to you as a faithful steward, starting with the gospel, whatever's been given to you, take that and offer it to God and offer it to others. Be spent, in other words, by God. Give, serve, act, take initiative, move by faith, ship out the grain and see what happens. Spread out what you have to others and see whom God will bless through your life and your efforts. That's what he's talking about. Investing leads to blessing. It leads to blessing God because, Lord, we bless you with what you've given us. It leads to blessing our neighbor 
uh, because they receive as we serve, give, love them. And it's ultimately a best blessing to us because you only find life, Jesus says, when you give your life away. So investing leads to blessing. Point number two, be wise, but don't overanalyze. Be wise, but don't overanalyze. Verses 3 and 4. Did you notice he talks about verse 3, if clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. He's saying some things can be observed. You can look for signs and indicators in your life. And here's one. If a cloud is filled with, you know, it looks like a rain cloud filled with water, then you can look at a, the shape of a cloud and, and oftentimes know but there's an indicator we're going to have rain. That's what he says. So you can know certain things by observation. The second point of verse 3, if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will be. He's making a very simple statement here. Look, just observe how the world works. A tree falls over by whatever means. It's not getting up and walking away. The tree will stay there. You can see a felled tree, and you can acknowledge that tree remains where it is. You can see a cloud with uh, full of rain, and you can accurately predict that there will be rain. But what he goes on to say is, though you know indicators and though you can read things in life, don't overanalyze the signs. Don't spend too much time contemplating the indicators. Don't sort of get an analysis paralysis where you're so consumed by, I've got to investigate it and know everything so that you never act. Well, how do I know he's talking about that? Look at the next verse. After he says, you know clouds are full, etc. The next verse, verse 4, he who observes the wind will never sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. What he's saying is, look, a farmer didn't want to plant on a windy day. And so uh, you wait until it's as still as possible. Because if you plant in a windy day, the wind blows the seed and you don't get an even distribution of the seed. So that's what he's saying. And you also need your seed to be watered, right? And so you also could be looking, verse 4, in the play, I'm sorry, verse 4, yeah, he who regards the clouds will not reap. So could also be looking and saying, okay, is, is there going to be some rain because I want to plant? Minimal wind, perfect rain, looking for the, the perfect setup to plant, he's saying, He's saying, you can't do that because you've got a very short window. A farmer had a short window to plant. He can't wait six months. It's a very short window to plant. And so realize, use wisdom. The first 10 chapters are about wisdom. Use wisdom. Look at the clouds. Look at the wind. But by all means, get busy. At some point, you're going to have to plant. He who observes the wind will not sow. If, so if you're looking for the wind to be perfectly still and you're not going to plant until the very moment in the window of planting time when it's the stillest, you may never plant. And look at the clouds for rain. But if you're always going, I can only plant on a day when there's a rain cloud, you got a tight window. Guess what? You may never plant. And that's what he says. He who regards the clouds will not reap. If you're just overanalyzing, be wise. But don't overanalyze. If you're just overanalyzing, you never do anything with what you have, and you you don't get a harvest. Instead of a harvest, you're left holding a bag of seeds that you never planted because you were waiting for the perfect moment. Do you get the drift of the passage? He's saying, cast your resources out there. Give completely and even more. But don't over-evaluate the timing. Get out there and sow your seed. This is about faith, even aggressive faith, that acts 
with an expectation that God is sovereign and he will do what he wants with the seed. It's my job to wisely plant. It's God's job to bring a crop, to bring a harvest. That's true in natural, uh, that's true in agriculture, and that's true in following Jesus as well. So, be wise. We're not just saying, get out there and start doing stuff. Just trust God crazy. Well, the first 10 chapters were about be wise. So be wise, but don't overanalyze so that you don't do anything or you'll never have a harvest. Point three and the final point, when we don't know, so. When you don't know, so. He talks about here in verse five about what we don't know. A lot of the book has been about what we don't know, that, that things happen that don't make sense in life. And we trust a sovereign God. And he starts by saying, we don't understand the most basic element of life. Verse 5, we don't know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. Now, we certainly know more biology than Solomon knew. Uh, We have uh, sonograms and we know a lot more about the development of a baby in a womb than he did. But you know what? No one can explain how that baby ultimately gets life when a spirit enters um, the newly conceived child. No, no, nobody can explain all of that, how life always... We can make observations, but you can't ultimately explain all that. God is the one that gives life. And so what he says is, just as you can't know the way the spirit comes into the bones in the womb, he says, so you don't know the work of God who makes everything. So you don't know what God's going to do. You don't know how God acts. You often don't know why God acts, he's saying. And and he's made that point, as I said, for 10 chapters, that we are to trust the Lord when life doesn't make sense. But now he's saying something different. He's saying, you don't know how things work and what God's going to do. So go sow your seed. In other words, ignorance isn't a motive for passivity. We don't say God is sovereign. I don't know what he's going to do, so I'm going to do nothing. Just the opposite. Because God can use what he wants to accomplish his purposes, we should be taking actions that he will make fruitful. Get busy, sow your seed. Work diligently in your job. Use your resources. Open your home. Give your time to someone. Invest in a relationship. Invest in the reconciliation of a broken relationship. Serve your neighbor, make friends, serve the people of God, look for an opportunity to share your testimony, whatever, give it, give your finances, help someone in need, whatever, whatever the giving and the casting and the sowing of the seed looks like for you. They're agricultural picture here, but it applies to all of life because you don't know which will prosper ultimately is what he says uh, in verse 6. He's verse 6, he says, in the morning sow your seed, in the evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper. So in the morning, go plant some seeds. What about in the evening? Yeah, don't withhold your hand. Keep it going. Because you don't know. The morning seeds may be prosperous. The evening seeds, on the other hand, may be fruitful. Or he says they both may be good. You just don't know. So take action. Now, he doesn't tell us why he puts this in chapter 11. If you've been around for the whole, we've been doing this for months, but if you've been around for months, you know this passage, and certainly this sermon, sounds different than the other ones we've heard. He doesn't tell us why did he 
start talking about this kind of action? And why did he apply the sovereignty of God this way in this section, where he's applied it very differently in the previous 10 sections? Well, my theory is simply this, that he's talked a lot about life often doesn't make sense. He gives examples like unrighteous people prosper sometimes and live long lives so that they can harm more people with their selfishness. And sometimes righteous people die young. What's up with that, God, is what he says. That doesn't make sense. Why, why, why do you let the unrighteous continue to live to harm people and take someone who's righteous at a young, someone who believes in Christ, follower of Jesus, takes them at a young age? Why do you do that? So he says, he says a lot of stuff doesn't make sense. And there's lots of sections about uh, God is sovereign. He's sovereign over our seasons. We read that in chapter 3, a time for this, a time for that. So I think now he's saying, look, just because you don't know and can't figure out what God's done, just because life doesn't make sense sometimes, and just because you don't know what season's coming next, that doesn't mean you should lay back. Quite the opposite. You should be proactive. I think he doesn't want someone to read the first 10 chapters and come out of it a hyper-Calvinist which is someone that says, God's going to do what God wants to do, and so my actions have no real meaning. And the Bible teaches this, God's going to do what God wants to do because he is sovereign, and my actions have meaning. He uses my actions. So they're bo- it's, it's a mystery how that all fits together, but they're both in the Bible. And so he doesn't want someone to come out and read the first 10 chapters and say, well, if God is this lofty, sovereign being who rules over the world and does things that sometimes don't make sense to us, Man, I'm just checking out because it doesn't matter. God's already written the story, so he's going to do what he wants to do. And he says, no, cast your seed. God's going to do what he wants to do as you cast your bread upon the water. God's going to do what he wants to do when you plant your seed. God's going to bring a harvest that he wants to bring, but he's going to use your actions. So this is the section of the book, stronger than anywhere we've seen so far, where God is giving us a call to action. When you don't know, don't be paralyzed. When you don't know, so. Uncertainty of God's plan is not an excuse for doing nothing. It's not an excuse. We, we can't play that card. Well, I'm not doing anything. God's sovereign. doesn't matter. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. God is sovereign, but your actions matter. Both are true in the Bible. So, so broadly, don't sit around on a bag of seed. Go into your week from here, casting your seed. No, I thought about if we had a a bag of seed, big bag of seed, chair-sized bag of seed, seat size in everybody's seat, and you came in here, and you sing, and you have fellowship, and we pray, we're going to receive the Lord's table, you hear the Word of God preached. It's It's like what we should think of is we grab our bag of seed on the way out, and all week we're planting planting, planting. We come back next week, there's a fresh bag of seed in our chair. We're inspired by the Lord, we encounter Christ, and then we go out and we plant all week. It's not we come in and sit in our seat and leave the bag of seed and walk out. Leave it all at church. It's not like you come back every, oh, that's my seat, that's my bag of seed. I've been sitting on that bag of seed for five years. It's got my bottom prints right there in it. You know, that's my seat. I know that's, those are my prints. I recognize that's me right there. I've been here for five years, got my bag of seed every week. Utter failure. The goal is not to just come and sit on your bag of seed. The goal is to be fed and then to give from what God feeds you. The, the nature of following Jesus is receive through the gospel what God is doing in our lives and then share 
and care with others from our heart, through our prayers, through our time, so broadly. Take your bag of seed into your week and so. You know, I was thinking about how this kind of applies, and one of the things I wanted to just share with you, I, I don't talk a lot about our history as a church, and I probably should. We have so many new people in the church and so many people that have very little history. And so we like a lot of new members, people who have joined in the last year or two years. And uh, so you've become part of this family, and we share a little bit in the new members class. But uh, one of the things I wanted to share with you today that I, I, hope, will bring, I hope will bring joy to your heart, and it, certainly thanks to God for, is this message that we're talking about here, cast your seed, don't overanalyze, sort of go for it, take a risk even at times, risk your own pride uh, by, by stepping out in faith, risk your finances, whatever the risk might be is this, that this message is in the DNA of our church. This is the story of our church. Because our church was begun by about 15 to 20 families uh, from other parts of the country, different places that moved here to plant a church. And we joined up with some people who were already here. Now, I came with a job. You know, I I was the church, I was uh, our only pastor at the very beginning, at the start. But many of these others, so I'm really not talking about Ginger and me here. I'm talking about the other people who joined this, who weren't pastors, who worked in the marketplace and quit their jobs, found a new job in a new city. This was before the rush from California. About half the team came from San Diego, but this was before Texas was the California gold rush and everybody was leaving that state and coming here. This was back where it was like, why? Why would you want to leave California? It's awesome. That's what everybody said to me when I moved here. Why would you leave California? Now nobody says that anymore. I don't know what happened, but, well, I got speculation. Anyway, um, so, so we, you know, all these families came. They left what was familiar. Many of them left grandma and grandpa and their family roots and moved to a new place, and just we began to meet and built the church planting team here on the site because so many of them were from other places, didn't really know them until we got here. And we built the church planting team and then started reaching out. And so they just invested, reached out to their neighbors. We didn't know anybody to invite or to reach out to, so they reached out to their neighbors, reached out to their coworkers, um, got involved in kids' sports and, and neighborhood stuff and whatever else is going on, school stuff, whatever it is. And people just began to reach out, and, 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 and they, they cast their bread on the waters, and they took a risk. They took a risk. They planted their seed. They didn't hold on to their seed. They planted it and said, Lord, this is, could grow something or it might not. And it was a very real possibility that you move, move across the country, you start a new church, and it does not make it. When, the, when we moved here, someone in the city who had planted a church who knew more about the dynamics of churches in the area than I knew uh, told me that in about a two-year period that about 20 churches had been planted uh, in Frisco. This was, I mean, every elementary school, you know, every, every place had, had somebody that was coming here to plant the church. And then he told me after two years, half of those didn't make it. It was like a 50% rate. And I'm glad I didn't hear that to begin with, you know. <laughs> I, I heard that afterwards. But I thought people took a risk and, and made an investment and you know what? God bless their investment because we're sitting here today rich in mercy. They invested and passed on. Some of them are still here. Some of them have moved away. Some of them served for a while here, helped the church get going, and then ultimately found another church in the area. That, that happened for some folks 
uh, you know, after being here a number of years or whatever, and that's good too. If they're serving in another church, we're for that. So some of them aren't here, um, but you know what they did? Somebody led Grace Kids to start the church. Somebody started it up. We're going to have a children's ministry. Somebody started it. And guess what? That person trained someone else, and then that person led it. And then a few years later, somebody, they trained someone else, and then that person led it. And it happened. I don't know what generation we're on. I don't know uh, what generation you are, Heidi, if you're the fifth or the sixth or somewhere in there. But is it sixth? I don't know. Is it sixth? Something like that? Yeah. So, but we can look back and say, wow, somebody moved across the country and got that thing going. And now Grace Kids is a full-blown deal out here. Just had a big VBS and all that. But someone had to invest to start that. Someone had to give some money so that we could rent a building and now pay for a building and be in a building and keep the lights on. Somebody had to do that. Somebody, everything I described, somebody, we had like three small groups began with something like that, two or three. And so somebody had to raise somebody else up and then they led a group and then they led a group and they passed it on. And, and probably most community groups in our church could, there's a family tree that we could trace back. Where did that leader learn from? Because somebody invested, somebody cast seed. And the first person that led children's ministry here, I, I guarantee they, at the moment, they were thinking, yeah, we got to do something for the kids. Uh, but they weren't thinking, yeah, you know, 15 years from now and six generations later, I'm building this to hand something to Heidi. And nobody thought that. You're just serving. But look what God does after the years. Same thing is true in uh, all of our ministries in the life of the church. People serve, and then it goes on. And we're not a church plant anymore, obviously. But I don't think that dynamic should ever leave a church and should ever leave a Christian's heart. What dynamic? The dynamic of faith and risk and stepping out with something I haven't done before and maybe I'm not all that comfortable with. We should never grow complacent where everybody's just sitting on a bag of seed that they come to every Sunday and sit on again. We never want to get to that place. We always want to have the heart that's saying, Lord, how can I use what you've given me? Who have you placed in my life? Who can I talk to? Who can I love? Who can I serve? Who can I pray for? Where can I invest? Because I don't know what you will do with this investment, but you'll do something for your glory and for the good of others. Robert Louis Stevenson who wrote Treasure Island, and I'm not sure what else, maybe Kidnapped or something. I don't remember whatever, what else he wrote. I don't know if he's a Christian, but I read this quote by him. I don't really know anything about him. So, like, if he was an atheist, don't tell me, oh, he's an atheist. Just, okay, I don't know. I don't know where he's at. But he said something that's great, okay? I'm always careful quoting people because somebody said, did you know that person? Okay, so I don't know. But this is what he said. Listen to this. Don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds you plant. That's powerful. That, that would be reflective of this. When you put your head on the pillow at night, don't run through the day and say, what great accomplishments happened from my efforts? Because many great gospel fruitful accomplishments you don't even know happen. You don't even know. So at the end of the day, we say, where did I invest? Where did Christ changed my heart so that I served and loved another person. Where did I give? That's the measure of a day. And that's a measure of a life. You don't get to a certain place in life. Many, many, many of us do, right? We have crises sometimes in the middle of our lives. Oh, at this age, I thought I would have accomplished so much more. It's not about what you've accomplished at any given age. It's what have you invested for the Lord, for the glory of the Lord and the good of others. That's what matters. What have you invested of your time, of your money, of your gifts? 
I believe God is calling us to step out and invest. Where are you being too cautious? Yes, you should be wise. But sometimes what we call caution is just fear. We're afraid to talk to that person. We're afraid to uh, seek that new role at work because it may be too much responsibility and we're not ready for it yet. We're, we're afraid to start investing in a new relationship. What area are you just waiting on? Are you just like waiting? You need to have wisdom, but there's a time to stop evaluating the wind and stop looking at the clouds and realize you're going to miss the harvest if you don't plant some seeds. And it's time to plant now. Take initiative. Invest in a relationship. If you're a single man and you've got an interest in a godly woman, take initiative. Now is the time. She told me so. Now is the time to take action. In the first service, I said, the Lord just told me. I thought, well, that's not true. I can't say that. But uh, actually, she didn't tell me either. So it's, it's all imaginary. But there you go. It's time. Don't wait around. What are you waiting on? Uh, are you giving of your finances in a way that glorifies the Lord? Maybe you say, I'm not. Okay. Well, you can start now. We've got today. We don't have to wait around. God forgives. God washes away our path. Let's start now being faithful to give our finances to bless someone, some ministry, or something uh, to build up, edify the local church. Maybe there's a ministry area you'd like to serve in. You thought, I'd always like to do that in the church. I'd always, I think I might have a gifting for that. Well, okay, don't sit on the seed. Let's find out if you've got a gifting. Talk to someone who does that and say, I want to be trained, and you think I could do that. Or maybe something you know you can do. I bet they need some help over here. Sometimes newer people in particular think, oh, this church has been around. They've probably got it all covered. No, we don't have it all covered. We're all running around trying to get it covered. That's church life. That's the way it always is. If you've got it all covered, you're not doing it. You're not trusting the Lord. We want to be in a place where we're always trusting the Lord, and, and we need, we got a spot for you to serve. So maybe it's that. Maybe it's your job. Is God calling you to a new level of responsibility? Make yourself available. Voice your interest to your boss. Use your gifts. Seek to invest in other people and see how God uh, uses them, you know? The picture of don't just worry about the fruit on your tree. Invest and be concerned about the fruit on their tree. Help them. And you may do that for eight people. And you know what? One of them may say, there's something different about you. Why did you do that? You got nothing out of it. Oh, there's a moment now to explain the reason for the hope that is within you, Jesus Christ. I'm going to close with a quote here from Philip Ryken. I love this. It's where I got the title of the sermon from. I sort of massaged his quote. He says, what God will do you never know, but you will never reap if you never sow. What God will do you never know, but you will never reap if you never sow. It leads us to this morning receiving communion together. You know, all of Scripture points to Christ. And I think this Scripture points to Jesus in a number of ways. I think the whole thing points to his death, ultimately. In John 12, Jesus said that it was the time, his time had come, his time for his death had come. And then immediately after he says, this is my hour, this is what he says. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, it's my time, and I'm going to sow my life. I'm going to be like a seed of grain, uh, and I'm going to go into the ground dead. And by that death, there's going to be tremendous fruit. 
If it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus sowed his life, and in many ways, we are the fruit. Jesus gave his life, and then he sent his spirit to open our hearts to the truth of the gospel. And now we've been reconciled. We're with the Father. And the church is the harvest that Jesus died for. He was the seed that was planted, and the harvest is the people of God. And not only are we the harvest, but we get to participate in the harvest. And so we now get to sow seeds because of what he's done for us and watch him reap a harvest through us, through our church, through our family, whatever it might be, through us in the lives of others. And do not grow weary in well-doing because you don't know what God is doing with the seeds that you are planting. You, you could be, uh, have reached out to Luke Smart and 85 years, or Luke Short, whatever his name was, Luke. You can look at my notes. Oh, it's been a long day. I had so many flub-ups in the first, I said so many off things in the first service. Um, it's been one of those days. But at any rate, you know, you could be like Luke. But they could be like Luke. 85 years from now, something could happen. So don't measure it by what's happening. Measure it by what you've invested because because of the death and resurrection of Christ, God can do many things, great things. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.